Welcome into episode 228 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is brought to you in part by Simmons Drums. Simmons Drums recently introduced the new SD1200 electronic drum kit, which features all mesh pads, a custom sound library, including vintage and world percussion, a large, easy-to-read LCD screen, advanced VAR technology, uh, wireless Bluetooth with USB connectivity, and there's a free iOS app that allows you to further customize the kits, and you can do external sampling. This kit is available now at Guitar Center stores, and you can also get it online if you go to Musician's Friend. Again, search for the SD1200 Electronic Drum Kit by Simmons. If you want more details on this kit, go to SimmonsDrums.net. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S, Drums.net, SimmonsDrums.net for more details. This episode is also brought to you by Havana Music Tours. There is an upcoming percussion festival that is on... It's called Fiesta del Tambor, and it is six days and five nights of uh, music in Havana, Cuba. So if you're looking to travel, um, you will have this whole package cost, let's see here, per person, it is $1,295. That gets you uh, a basic accommodations in a villa. If you want a five-star hotel with a double room, that's $2,284 per person. If you want a five-star hotel with a suite, that's $3,171 per person. The time is march 24th through the 29th of this year this tour includes uh, accommodations as we just explained also vip access to all of the events at the fiesta del tambor you will have a bilingual musician tour guide who's from the u.s with you you'll be able to attend drumming and music clinics and workshops you will get day tours of the city of havana um, there will be a detailed itinerary, so everything will be mapped out for you. You get breakfast included. You get four dinners included. You get lunch the first day when you arrive. You get to interact with everyone who's performing at the festival. Um, you also get airport transportation provided, as well as transportation to all the scheduled events. You have a flight concierge. So really, they're, they're trying to take care of it all for you. Uh, again, so the info you need to check out if you're interested in going to the Fiesta del Tambor in Havana, Cuba, on March 24th through the 29th, you should go to HavanaMusicTours.com and then you'll find a link for Fiesta del Tambor. Check it out. This is going to be a good opportunity for you to go check out one of the most musically rich uh, nations on the planet. That's the Fiesta del Tambor Percussion Festival. Check it out. HavanaMusicTours.com. All right, let's get to the show. It gives me that vibe. <laughs> Can you, you hear feeling, it? How are you feeling about the intro music? You digging it? Everyone digging it? I don't know. It? I don't know. I don't dig it and I don't not dig it. I, I I really like, it's almost like I wish we could contact the artist that wrote that because I like the intro. It's once the groove comes in, I'm like, that's not our groove. <laughs> I try to fade it's it like, out right when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I feel like we need to get in there and chop it up a bit. Uh, uh, but other than that, I'm good. I, I do like the 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 tone it sets so we're always we're always willing to improve this podcast how are you doing my friend i'm good i, I told you before we started i sliced my hand open which was awesome so hey word to the 
to the wise, don't shove your hand in a symbol bag full of vintage symbols that might have janky rivets in it because you're going to be bleeding for the next six hours. I'm going to give you a heads up. You don't need to give that word to the wise. They already know. How about word to the morons? That, oh, no, wait. That would be... Okay, got it. Why would you... Okay, so... Yeah, I guess... I mean, I guess that just makes sense. Now, never mind. I'm Somebody done. Somebody needs to... I'm sure they exist, but rivets that don't have those like staples on the bottom side of it. Because I'll yeah. tell you what I was doing. I have a set of symbols I was going to take to a gig this weekend. And I was like, maybe that crash, maybe that old Zildjian A would sound better than this new thing I've got. So I went to my stack of old Zildjians in an, in an old case that's hard to open. And I just like reached my hand in there and forgot I had put a rivet symbol underneath the other crash. Mm. It was just like a razor blade to the palm, right on the mm. thumb, right on the, the meat of the thumb, too, right yep. where the, the stick sits. Right where the stick hits. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, I've done that. Oof, looking that looking is, forward to playing tough. Uh, about six hours of music this weekend. That'll be fun. <laughs> now, Will you cover that up, like with a bandage or something, so it doesn't rip open, or does that mess up your I've technique got a, and your I, feel? It's it's at a point where when I hold a stick, it opens it up. I've got new skin on it. Man, this is so gross to even talk about. I put new skin on it. That's what I'm using. Yeah, man. I, I used to. It smells like bananas. I used to love new skin when I was touring. I mean, your first week of any tour in a rock band, that's when your hands get all their new blisters and stuff. No matter how much you practice, there's mm-hmm. nothing like the sweat of a tour. And the the intensity of a tour, and yeah, my my all my hands, it was just new skin everywhere. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, I had to go past new skin because that would come off during the gigs. So I just went straight to super glue, and I would just make a pad of plastic that was on my hand. Good God, yeah, it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> there's like like people would shake my hands and like pull back in fear. I'm like, oh, sorry. There's You're a bunch of plastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. I I feel you, man. That that's no fun yeah. at all. It'll heal. It's okay. fine. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. But it's just one of those. Like, why? Why did I decide this morning I need to dig in that old crusty rusty bag of symbols? Like, why? <laughs> Tetanus Dang. shot after tetanus shot from yeah. Zildjian. I've had tetanus shot that. since 1980. I don't think so. <laughs> so you just keep checking it on your hand to make sure yeah. it's the proper coloring. It's getting it's getting a little bruised. Eh, anyway, okay. How you doing? Speaking of tet, I'm good. Speaking of tetanus shots, there's something I wanted to bring up with you that's medically related. Oh, let's talk about the practice pad. Let's talk about. It. Let's get it Which over one? with. I'm, no, oh, practice you mean pads. in general? Yeah, let's get it over with. <laughs> I don't know how smooth that segue was, but I felt like it was pretty smooth. <laughs> Let's get this stuff over with. Oh, so man, I don't even know where to begin. I use a practice pad every day, so let's just put that out there. And every I day. would prefer to play on a snare drum every day. Okay. So, so end of I discussion? Think, <laughs> yes, pretty close. My thought is this. Practice pads are incredible for any time you can't be on a snare. That's it. Like, if I yeah. could be on a snare drum, I'd much rather be on a snare drum if I could even be on a, a countertop mm-hmm. to hear the articulation and the clarity, I would love that. But there are times like in a hotel room where I just can't find the hardest surface, most articulate surface in the room and start going at it. Right. So I, at no point, though, I, I think what got confused in our bickering is at no point do I think your technique will improve from a practice pad more than it would if you were playing on a snare that exact same amount. Yeah. A hundred percent. And your That's your it. ears will definitely not get damaged by practicing on a practice pad versus a snare drum. Correct. So Correct. I think the only my what was why was I being devil's advocate? I think it was more like having to have a practice pad before you can practice. That's more of my my stance is mm. 
use your thigh, use a couch, use air drum, I think, all of that. Yeah, is I think also what you were saying at the time was if you could practice on a snare, is that better than a pad or is that equal to a pad? And, and in my mind, it's much better. I mean, if on you can practice on a snare. Yeah. And I think what happens is because of the internet uh, or, or I guess social media drumming, we're almost taught that oh, when you do those types of exercises, those are done on a pad. It's like, no, no, no. I'd much rather teach that to you on a snare, mm. but I, I don't want to go through like miking that and then having a vocal mic. So I'm just doing it on a pad so you can hear what I'm doing. Yeah. The other thing is those, depending on how tight your snares are, you might not hear what I'm doing. If I did it on a snare, it would just sound like a lot of notes where on a pad, sometimes the articulation, it, it's a much shorter note because there's no sustain at all. There's no snare buzz. So you can hear the what I'm actually playing. Yeah, and and I think all of us tend to overplay on a practice pad. Therefore, if you went straight to the drum, you'd be you'd be shocked at how loud and distasteful it actually sounds. I do that all the time when I when I've got when I see a camper here that's just eyes closed, in ears in, and beating the living hell out of my pads <laughs> while their eyes are closed. I just throw a snare drum underneath their hands real quick, and it scares the hell out of them. I'm like, yeah, that's how long you've been playing this whole time. <laughs> Stop it! Why are you rimshotting a pad? <laughs> Stop yeah, it. yeah, it's like the yeah, swinging for the fences. So, Scott, to cat, to cat. Oh my god! I'm yeah. asking you to practice Swiss triplets. What are you doing? So, I think my closing argument would be: you cannot develop touch and dynamics on a practice pad. That probably is the biggest topic, and I I agree. I think that if you live on a pad. A pad, to me, is where you can absolutely work out some patterns and maybe hate yourself a little less. If you were working out those same sticking patterns on a snare, it's very obvious how bad you are at it. Mm. And I think on a pad, it just it, it allows me to learn something, and then I refine it on the kit, mainly because I can't be on a kit at the times I want to practice. Sometimes I have this, like, oh, you know what? I've realized that this sticking pattern is very uneven for me, and it's 9 p.m., well, I'm going to grab my practice pad. I'm not going to bring a mm. snare drum down to the TV room in the living room with Amber and be like, are you still watching this? <laughs> you should cool. totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to, and then I tell her, no, babe, this is a 13. It's way quieter than the 14. <laughs> Crank it's it all up, Kevlar head. Yeah. <laughs> is it even, hon? Is it even? <laughs> okay, good. So we, we agree. Yeah, I mean, really, I was just being a smartass. I, I, it's a tool. It's just. But you know that our listeners take anything that you're being a smartass about. Like, I still get people if I post the picture of the drum key. You sure that's the drum key? Ugh, like, man. our listeners don't let it die. You're a ding dong daddy. Sorry. I'm sorry for, for wreaking havoc on your professional life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sarcastic. Uh, Come on, it's just the way I am. I love it. Now, yeah, I, it. I always want to. I'm always a devil's advocate because I do it with myself. It's like, am I, totally. is this really the best way to do it? Am I, am I just reinforcing myths? Am I really researching? I play on a pad, a pad every single day. I think for me, a practice pad is like getting on a treadmill or something. I'm not running, yeah. but I'm, I'm right. doing an exercise to develop my body. Man, what a great analogy. I think we all know that doing something on a treadmill is nothing like somebody just saying, we'll just go run a mile outside. Yeah. Go, go and there's some slight terrain. variations yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, and all of a sudden you're breathing way harder than you were on that treadmill. Yeah, I totally agree. Up. Yeah. So we could put that fake fight to bed. <laughs> Everyone should have a good practice pad. I just don't think you need to have to have your practice pad in order to practice. That's it. I agree with that. hundred percent. All right. <laughs> 
So let's get straight into our first topic because this is going to be a lengthy one, but I think all of you listening are going to have a blast listening to this and revisiting all these eras. So Mike and I came up with this idea of what are the sounds of a specific genre? And it came up as something actually quite different, which was I was listening to a song and I thought that it was probably from 2007, 2008, uh, maybe even a little later, 2014. And I was going to send it to a couple friends because I just thought it was a great tune, great drum tones. And then when I looked it up, it was recorded in 1993. And that just blew me away. So I mm. immediately called Mike and said, what about the idea of guess that era, guess that recording time? And that, as we talked on the phone, that morphed into this thing of like, well, what, instead of guessing, instead of trying to trick each other, what are the drum tones and the recording techniques of these specific eras and what do we think they are because we obviously might have different opinions so mike and i both picked a track to represent 1950s drum sounds and recordings we both picked a track for 60s another track for 70s another track for 80s another track for 90s another track for 2000s and a final track for what we're considering to be modern drum tones that would be 2010 and after now I want to make sure you guys know this was not picked as our favorite song from the 50s or our favorite drum grooves from the 50s. It was more like when someone says 1960s drums, what's that sound that's in your head, whether you're right or wrong. And I will say this, Mike, I was shocked at how many things that I considered to be 70s that were actually late 60s. Things mm. that I thought were 60s were late 50s. It was the end of a decade Interesting. that I would always think like, oh, well, you know, 70s, that's thuddy doobie brothers type stuff and then i would find like oh that sound started happening in 68 mm. and then by mid 70s that's what i thought the 80s were and so yeah it mm. was it was really interesting going down this rabbit hole so how did you pick your songs so for me i went with uh, more of a restriction like what would have been pop rock or r&b hits of the eras that kind of defined culturally what we were people would have been hearing on the radio okay. and then you know which of that would be something that i connected with like that sound has is important for me or it has some characteristics that i that i reference often so i didn't try to find like what's the quintessential you know 1950s track it was just this is an artist that i think of when i think of 1950s and this sure. is the sound that i hear in my head when i think of 1950s so that's that's the approach i took definitely more rock uh, pop so i went like top 100 hits of the 50s and look down I did the same thing well yeah I mean because I don't have a mental Rolodex of artists from the 50s Uh, I mean I think we you and I both do or any professional musician does have that in the jazz world because for some reason we were so into like well this is the era that this drummer played with this artist so I know it was mid 50s where with pop and rock I don't know that um, yeah, so the only thing is, I would say that, is tough oh, because it's all kind of the same sound. It's just different versions of the jazz sound. So I didn't want to go that way. That would have been kind of like a weird bias of a, of a bebop sound, and I didn't want to do that. I, I, the only thing I did that with is my '50s pick, mainly because in the '50s jazz was still popular music. But mm-hmm. I did it with something big band. But mainly the big difference is that I was also looking for recording techniques, and when mm-hmm. I would hear certain things, I'm like. That would sound so different today. Yep. There's no way they would have recorded it that way. So let's cool. get into it. We'll start with your first 1950s pick. Uh, all right. All right. My 1950s pick is Little Whoa. Richard. <laughs> I just got so excited. I just started. I just fired it off. All right. It is Keep a Knockin' by Little Richard. I think of 1950s as being the birth of rock and roll, and Little Richard is, for me, the figurehead of rock and roll. 
Um, in this song, if you hear the intro, you hear a reference to a later era with John Bonham. So this is a pretty important track for me and I think everyone who plays the drums. So this is Little Richard, Keep It Knockin'. I think everything you said is you can hear it in the tones. I hear some of my fifties drums mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, you know, it's not a 13 by six and a half brass. Yeah. That drum is sloppy. It's super right? sloppy and I love it. Everything is sloppy. And I also love that it's, you can tell that they have no idea how to record a drum set in this new genre. It's like, put the okay. drums way to heck over there. <laughs> Now, wait till you hear. So <clears throat> I think that was a great representation of that 50s sound. I went with uh, It Don't Mean a Thing, cl- okay. like one of the most classic jazz standards by Lionel Hampton. So this was recorded early 50s. And I want you to listen. The drummer takes a little break at about the 15 second mark. And it actually sounds like the drummer might be three to six cities away from the recording. <laughs> right. It's shocking. <laughs> the era of how do we record this music and then hey drummer can you change your style now this is something i don't know if a lot of people have talked about i have a theory and i'm sure it's been researched that what we think of the way drummers played in the 20s 30s 40s 50s is not the way they actually played because they were being recorded they were being forced to play with a much tighter dynamic restriction so Mm. what you're hearing like all that hi-hat stuff i think Maybe swinging on the hi-hat was something that developed because, hey, we can't record your loud-ass snare drum and ride cymbal. Can you do something yeah. else? Can you play some spoons or something, get some fly swatters? Yeah, no, I can totally <laughs> see that. Absolutely. And, I mean, it really sounds like, I mean, what, what do you think they were recording a big band with? One mic, two mics? Yeah, probably. Probably some ribbon mics in right? the room. I mean, it sounds like the and sections I, I, might have had mics on them, maybe. Okay, yeah. But either way, it was all going straight to straight to vinyl <laughs> i don't know straight oh to my vinyl God. it wow. probably was going straight to record jeez louise that's <laughs> i mean that's i just can't even imagine the pressure we think there's pressure in the pro tools era oh yeah. my goodness jack white's doing that now with his uh third third man records they're doing live straight to vinyl sessions Man, you gotta be you gotta be rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, and if you hit the bass drum too loud, that needles that knife is jumping, and you've just ruined the whole session. Oh. <laughs> Gosh, very all right, interesting. All right. So let's get into the 1960s. Uh, so your pick for the 1960s was uh, Aretha Franklin. I think of um, Roger Hawkins and the Muscle Shoals sound as being kind of the definitive studio 60s sound with a clear relation to the fifties kind of open jazzy sound. I feel like it's the transition between the jazz sound to a studio sound and we can actually record it properly. So this is respect Aretha Franklin. (laughs) 
the tightness has changed incredibly by now. Yeah. And the other thing is now we're layering percussion. So yeah. now our snare sounds have a tambourine with them. Yeah, and all that reverb too. Totally. And so the recording has changed so much. The drumming, the tuning has changed because, like you said, they could probably record it direct. Mm-hmm. Or at least at least the drummer gets his own mic now. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just, I mean, the drum head technology, this might have been mm-hmm. like Mylar heads instead of calfskin heads. So yep. I think it's a good transition between the jazz era to what we think of as a pop recorded sound plus that i mean roger, roger hawkins is just such an amazing session drummer um, so he kind of defines the 60s i was going to pick the meters or something like that but i was like you know aretha is kind of the 60s <laughs> let's go with let's go with aretha. absolutely well i went rock in the 60s if you can call it that i mean there was long hair involved so i'm gonna <laughs> call it rock but i went with the doors light my fire because this was the sound i remember these are the records that my parents were giving me Mm. and telling me to check out so let's give this a listen this is the doors light my fire you know that it would be untrue you know yeah i mean it's it's similar it's it's jazz-sounding drums being recorded better and with more kind of production value than before. And impossible. I mean, I don't know the history of reverb, but that's like full-blown plate reverb. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, that snare is like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's that going on, but then there's also, as soon as they get into the A section, there's this jazz ride cymbal. Yeah. I mean, Sizzly like... old A, like the one that's totally. gashed my hand open. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i you're still hearing this transition of like i grew up as a jazz drummer and then my buddy asked me to be in his rock band yeah and i don't really know how this works and i just kind of feather quarter notes on the bass drum we haven't hit in in the rock world it wasn't full bass drum patterns yet like it was maybe in the r&b world yeah and and they just said low end is for losers so we're not miking your <laughs> kick anyways so just play with your hands. Stand up if you want. We don't care. Uh, so we yeah. haven't, recording-wise, we haven't got that thumpy kick yet. Yeah. But the upside or the top side of the drum set, the toms, the ride cymbal, and the snare are very present. Yeah, that's a great record, too. My my dad listened to The Doors almost every day. So I, Oh, really? Yeah, that makes that has like a certain nostalgia for me. It actually feels like 1984 for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, well, that was, that was a thing that I, as I was research, researching all this stuff, I was like, what? That can't be right. Like, I, no. Okay, I'm going to take over on the 70s because this is my most disliked era. All right. Until I got into it and I was like, you know what? I, I dig it. I, I get it. I, there's some th- This is a very big change recording-wise, drum tone-wise, from the 60s era. In the 60s, like you said, we've got these tight jazz kits being recorded with reverb. Yeah. By the 70s, no more. Now it's like, take those bottom heads and put them in the trash. Yep, multi-tracking. We only do top heads. Yep. <laughs> multi-tracking. And do you have this thing called duct tape? Yeah. Okay, get some everywhere. of that. <laughs> put it, yeah. Got some cigarettes you can tape down to that snare drum. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, So this is China Grove by the Doobie Brothers. All right. I absolutely love that drum sound. I love it. I know everyone kind of talks about it. It's the Instagram drum sound. Everyone's going for that now. I'd love it. 
It's like you can yeah, tell the, the cool. snare wires are cranked to the point where they're almost exploding off the off the drum. <laughs> yeah. There's almost no snare response. It's not just it's not tape on the snare. What it is is a folded up napkin, yeah, then tape over that. There's like <laughs> that big pad. You know, it's like wait, don't don't go towards the top of the head because there's a giant like there's a pillow up there. The cymbal uh, sounds are good too. Everything just has a real tight, like chunky focus sound that, that's. It gets a bad rap, I think, because we were kind of brainwashed to think open drums are better, but that translates to the recording. I mean, it still sounds cool. Oh, my cool. gosh. It still sounds cool. You know that if you showed this to Ash Stone, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I just recorded that exact sound for 10 artists yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is it. So, All right, what was your pick? Uh, my pick for the 70s is Dire Straits, Sultan of Swing. Similar. Oh. It's a dead sound, but still kind of, kind of still with a little bit of a jazzy element to it. See, there's a theme going through my picks, but <laughs> Sultans of Swing, also one of my favorite songs of the era. Dude, literally, the guy left the Doobie Brothers session and was like, I got to go do this thing for my buddy. Uh, I'm going to the Dire Street. Like, it's the same kit. It's probably the same kit. Like, hey, come down to the studio and do your record now. We're all set up and ready to roll. Yeah. You got your you got your Rogers? Yeah. You got gaff tape? I do. It's called duct tape. We haven't invented gaff yet, but yeah, I got duct tape. <clears throat> That's awesome, man. I, uh, it is really cool to hear all of these eras and hear how the drums were changing and how the recordings were changing at the same time. Okay, mm-hmm. now when we get into the eighties, I'm sorry, but you, you have, have to give me a you gotta give me a two parter. That's funny because I, I, I have two for the two thousands and you have two for the eighties. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the first eighties track I have is what I think of eighties rock. <laughs> Okay, so yeah. Now keep in mind, they're putting in crowd noise into a song that was recorded in the studio. I love that. I love that the That's, drums sound like they're 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 Godzilla. Like that totally. snare drum sounds like it's a it's a concert bass drum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I mean this is where every bridge had to have reverse reverb on the snare. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this is. Obviously, How me as a kid. There? How did we get there? I don't know. This is me as a kid playing drums, and I just—I mean, this is what got me into it. I mean, yeah, I was a huge Def that, Leppard fan as a kid. Totally, everything that you and I talk about from an earlier era than say mid '80s, I wasn't a fan of it until I knew better. Mm-hmm. At this time, I was 11 years old. I mean, this is heaven for me. So, yeah, yeah. I love this stuff. Um, and maybe as a kid. You you can't really comprehend what Rick Allen's actually doing because this is him just now showing up on the scene as the guy that's going to play drums with one arm. Yeah, and, this is after. This is yeah, yeah. Yes, this is after the accident, and I thought it was just the coolest thing ever, and yes. maybe kind of inspirational as a kid. Like if he can do this with one arm, and I I better be able to do it with two. Somebody did and, a documentary on him where they they showcased his kid. It was a, it was a revolutionary thing for him to be able to mm-hmm. trigger snare drums with his left foot. I can't remember. Yep. That was like PBS or something. If anyone remembers, send, send us a link because it was like a full on segment about how he had to relearn to play drums and it was right. really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So 
That to me is one sound. But if there, you catch me on any other day and somebody says, what are the drum sounds of the 80s? It is my second track. All right, let's go for it. Okay, so I think it, like like we said with other eras, each each decade has different eras. So this is clearly an early '80s new wave era, yep. whereas Def Leppard kind of ushered us into the end of the '80s when finally it got annihilated by punk rock taking over. So this right. this to me represents new wave, which maybe could be like '77 to like '85. Well, right? if you listen, besides the cranked Timbali eight inch tom yeah. where he's doing the fill. <laughs> Besides that, which is also duct tape to hell, those tones were pretty similar to what we listed as our 70s tones. Yeah, totally. But there was that 80s new wave. Everything was dry as possible. And, and yeah, the drumming was just so precise. There, you know, With that Def Leppard sound, you have to actually play really sparse because the drums are so massive you can't play notes close together. No one would ever hear them. Yeah, and it was so much more of a production. Like the that Def Leppard totally. stuff is, might have been one of the first times they were layering on samples and all that kind of this is just right. drums being processed to hell and it sounds yeah sounds more like a drummer performing I don't hear that with Def Leppard agreed agreed alright let's get into your pick from the 80s my pick from the 80s is the um, probably my favorite sound of all time is the power station sound so this is Robert Palmer this is Tony Thompson on drums just hitting freaking brick wall sounding drumming so Really not that. I mean, obviously the Def Leppard thing is to the tenth degree, but not that different as far as going into it, getting that in your face. The snare is the loudest thing in the mix. Yeah. And tuning wise, I bet the snare and the kick share a lot of the same frequencies. Yeah. Yeah, I love you know, it. Tony uh, Thompson's one of my favorite. I, I always kind of him and Yogi Horton. It's kind of like if you want to play strong, powerful pop drums, those are the two guys you've got to compete with. I mean, they 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 just sound like they are playing with absolute authority, and you know yeah. they could probably punch through a brick wall. <laughs> like they're that strong. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's just and that it's so funny to listen to this stuff and just hear that era where I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, super I tight hi hats. The '80s for me were like super tight hi hats, like quick beats. Yeah. Everyone was playing like quick beats or something. And snare yeah. drums that were just like like shotguns going off. <laughs> totally. All right. So when we get into the nineties, let's go with your pick. What is your pick for the nineties? I don't remember. What did I pick? Right on. Oh, Chili oh, Peppers. Of course, of course. you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blood Sugar Sex I, Magic. I only didn't pick this because I knew that I'm like he's going to pick this. <laughs> so the the title track is definitive for me. this phrase more than almost anything but i have to use it how is that not drum porn like <laughs> right. how do drummers not just love that sound that's they, yeah that we all did right everyone well you're gonna i mean do you take that kit and chad you just have chad walk his kit over to my choice and then just have somebody by the sweet name of aaron comez playing it and you get my pick for the <laughs> 90s right. this is 
This is Two Princes by the Spin Doctors, the greatest drum intro of all time. <laughs> So what, Man. I guess, maybe maybe I'm remembering wrong, but this, for me, the 90s was a return to real-sounding instruments, and the room sounds were always real. Even if it was huge and cavernous, it was it was right. actually like a room rather than totally. a digital reverb. Yeah. Because both of these tracks, there's a ton of ambience on that. It's not dry, but the drums sound real. And with Chad, yeah. it, there's a ton of reverb, but it's like real. Like they mic'd up a hallway rather than using any kind of effects process. Totally agree. And I can tell you, and I'm sure you probably went through the same thing in your teenage years, but I was recording during these times. And that was, it was like, where did they record those drums? Oh, mm. like they did it at this studio. And so we would go to those live rooms. There's a place in Northern California called Prairie City where a ton of bands did their late 90s, early 2000s records. And we went there for their live room. And then they would like, I mean, websites were just starting out in like the late 90s. And so you would see like this grainy picture of their plate reverb room. Right. Or they had like a microphone inside an old oil tanker. And you're like, oh. So there's like a Genelec speaker in an oil tanker with a mic next to it. And I'm like, that's where we're going to do, that's where we're doing our album. So yeah. And I, I think that that, that intro of the chili peppers track and that intro fill by Aaron Comez of the spin doctors, that was when it was so cool to be a drummer because you knew you were going to be mixed at the top of the track. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, those chili pepper drums are so loud. I mean, they're ducking the vocals underneath the drums. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, and yeah, so this was a very fun time to be a fan of rock and pop. I mean, that Spin Doctors tune, that's not a rock tune. That's a pop tune. Yeah, that was a huge hit. I don't, what year yeah. did that come out? That was, I had it up as like 93 or something. Okay. Um, so, all right. So now we get into, and I think between our 80s picks and our 90s picks, that was one of the biggest jumps in sound that I've heard so far mm -hmm. from the eras. But if you go from our 50s pick to our 90s pick, it's insane. It's, yeah, not even the same universe. It's, it's like 50s, 60s were similar. 60s, 70s were similar, but they just had better technology. 80s, everyone went crazy with te technology. 90s yep. was like, hey, dudes, chill out with the technology. Chill out. <laughs> Let's go back just to recording. Take those tights <laughs> off and put on. Put this flannel around your waist. You're going to be fine. You don't need to you can cut your hair if you want. We don't care. Why are you putting on makeup? Take the makeup off. All right, Dad, I got you. All right, so jumping to the 2000s. So this is your double whammy pick. Okay. It is because uh, this artist that I think is the definitive 2000 artist had two very distinct sounds. Um, so Nine Inch Nails for me is like 2000s mm. um, with teeth. So if you listen to the track, every day is exactly the same. Huge drums. I think this is Dave Grohl. Um, that's what I think of. If someone says this is going to be like an early 2000s mid-tempo rock, I'm like, okay, well, I've got to try to get this drum sound. So that's my first pick. Every day is exactly the same. I believe I can see the future. I don't care if you're done listening. Podcast is over for me. I could listen to this song. I'm still listening. It's so good. <laughs> so good, dude. And they, it, okay, now there's a couple things going on here. One, this showed up in that uh, movie with uh, Angelina Jolie and James something, uh, James McAvoy, Wanted. 
Oh, I didn't know so that. So okay. that's I found this as a soundtrack song before I saw it as like an album song. Okay. But you can hear the influence of the Bjork filter bass line of jigga jigga j- just mm-hmm. constant sixteenth notes droning out. Um and that was everywhere yeah. in like the late nineties or I'm sorry, the um the yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. Yep. yep. That was just everywhere. Yeah, that tempo this tempo was like the Yep. <laughs> the 2001 tempo i can tell you because i was touring at this time we had eight songs it was like uh, but <laughs> for me it's the <laughs> sonics like if you want a kick oh, drum yeah. sound that's the kick drum sound if you want a, like totally. a huge bell brass sounding snare drum sound that's it if you want a hi-hat sound that's just mean that's it like yeah. that's like a perfect sound so god that's a good track should i do my All second right, one you're yeah, your second pick. So also Nine Inch Nails, and this is um, so this is more of like a hybrid. I think of the 2000s being hybrid loops, electronics, acoustic drums. Yeah, and this is also a time where, as someone that was recording during this time, this was the first time anyone had brought up to me like, do you want to just do the hi-hat part by itself? Mm. And I was like, what? Why the hell would I do that? <laughs> Wait, like, what is the point of learning all this independence if you're going to make me go out there with a hi-hat stand and a throne? Yeah. And they're like, well, we just really need to isolate it. Yeah, you get that really upfront like, sound. I mean, it's... Totally. Yeah. It's, and and that, it was influenced it by like groups like this. It sounds like a loop. It sounds like it's programmed because at this time, samples were becoming really realistic it could have been a drummer. It could have been chopped up. Could, who knows? But right. again, that's another one where if someone says, give me that Nine Inch Nails sound, I know it's this. They want it to sound like drums, but played by a machine. That's the vibe I'm going yeah. for. So my pick in the 2000s, it's funny that you went that way. My pick was but the only pick I have that isn't a drummer. And it's because the producer himself was so impactful on this entire era for drum set players. We all had to learn these grooves because Timbaland was programming these grooves. So this is the track, Are You That Somebody by Aaliyah, produced by Timbaland. And this is the first time that 30-second notes started creeping into pop music in a halftime feel. Okay, so a couple things right off the bat is the drums were so locked to the vocal. Mm-hmm. Every kick drum part wasn't locking to bass. It was like, let's lock to the vocal. It was also this first time that this tempo of, uh, wasn't slow at all. Yeah, right. It's all and that triplet vibe started creeping in mm-hmm. and this is probably this one song was the most influential on getting me away from rock into whatever else I eventually went into yeah uh, because yeah, it just wasn't my Pearl Jam tunes you this know? was when I realized I was losing touch with what was going on <laughs> <laughs> it's like Carter Beaufort was the first when everyone like started going to that style of playing that real broken choppy thing. I'm like, hmm, yep. I don't want to practice that. And then this stuff came out, and I'm like, I don't know what language they're speaking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough 
to be a drum teacher at 17. Uh, so I always had teenagers my whole life bringing me music. So I, yeah. it, I was very, I mean, I think even my world in social media was because have, teaching constantly, you got 80 kids a week and they're going like, Hey, can I just hit you up on MySpace? On what? <laughs> MySpace. And then I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Let me just go in the back and HTML out my page real quick. Uh, so, so anyways, so yeah, so this track, even though it may not be an actual drummer, the programming of it was the first time I was genuinely jealous of the drum part mm. and thinking, oh, wow. And I'm thinking, I better learn that. Yep. And uh, I'm really glad I did. So we that was to, my uh, pick. We definitely have to give Questlove a lot of credit for that. That for vibe, sure. that sound, that approach of, of of taking classic hip-hop production to the to the acoustic drum world and then having that kind of flip upside down. So now we're taking Questlove style and then programming in the style of Questlove. I think, I think that he might be the most important player of the past 20 There's years. an era that I think everyone... You should get these three albums. Uh, you should get, obviously, Voodoo by D'Angelo. That was mm-hmm. what, obviously, if you were into hip-hop and you knew about the roots and you knew about things that Quest was doing, if you were into like what I always called organic hip-hop, so the roots, De La Soul, Far Side, mm-hmm. uh, things that just, uh, uh, did I say De La Soul? I yep. think so. Uh, but Diggable Planets, you know, yep. putting Tribe, in trumpet Tribe tracks, West. Tribe Called Quest, yep. obviously. Uh, so if you were into that, you already knew who Quest was. If you weren't, the D'Angelo record was the first time a lot of drummers said who played drums on that. But in that exact same era, get the Voodoo album by D'Angelo, then get Who Is Jill Scott. It's the first Jill Scott record. And then I can't remember the name of it, but I think it's called Everybody Got There Something, but it's the first Nick Acosta record. Mm. And so Quest and some of the Roots guys were on all three of those. And that little trio of records We'll introduce you to this whole world of putting this stuff on a drum set. It's really cool. All right. So that gives us our 2000s. Now we're into the 2010s and beyond what we are considering to be the modern drum sound. Mm -hmm. This was eye-opening for me because I realized the modern drum sound to me is something that I don't – I actually give up. I don't know what it is anymore. I don't know – and what I mean by that is when I hear it, I don't know if it's samples. I can't tell. The samples are so real. I just – I'm like I don't know. It sounds like a good drum set. Yeah, this is the this is the time when I started having people say, "Hey, don't play so human." Like, can you mm-hmm. can you give me that vibe, but just make it sound more like a machine? That was the first time when that actually that request came in. Like, it sounds too live. Like, what do you mean it sounds oh, okay. too live? I'm I'm playing the drums, so it just made me rethink. Like, okay, if if I was going to sample myself and cut my own parts up, what would it sound like? And that's to me gotcha. what the 2010s. So my pick is the black keys and the song tighten up, which is exactly that they took an acoustic performance, kind of classic sound chopped the heck out of it and made it sound like today. Because that is right now. If somebody came to me and said, "Hey, how do I get this sound?" I'd be like, "Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know." Uh, Hire Chad Blake to mix it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, and I I do like it a lot. I mean I love where we're at with, um, but it's it's kind of back to that. I don't know if that's like a bunch of samples. I don't know if they actually did that. You could do that if you really cared. I mean it, it really. 
you've been in this situation way more than I have, but it comes down to how adventurous the producer is and how much they want to stay organic. Sometimes they're like, yeah, we could do this with samples, but I'd rather have an Instagram video go out of you playing a trash can lid in a hallway so people know how we got this sound. Yeah, and you could, I mean, you could be creative, maybe throw some gates on it so it sounds like your live drums are chopping up. Um, right. But I th- I'm pretty sure that particular track, they just recorded it as a, as a two-piece and then just cut the drum track into bits and then created the final version. So he's even had to, like, play live version that may not represent how they originally wrote the song. But I think right. it's fascinating. And I like the challenge when someone says, give me that Black Keys vibe, and then they, in their first comment back, it sounds great, it's it's too it's too live like okay <laughs> cool or it's too yeah. clean or you know i get these weird producer comments now <laughs> you're too good at the drum set <laughs> can you just pretend to suck yeah can you just play uh, like a caveman i'm like okay cool. yeah and it, it is a sound for sure so my 2010s or and beyond pick uh is something that i'm not a fan of. i wouldn't say i'm not a fan i just don't know much about the band um but the 1975 love it if we made it. And the reason why I picked this is because it's one of those things where I'm like, man, this is a great drum sound. I think, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We've, we've almost arrived at the 1980s all over again without the hair and makeup. It's like everyone's going for the most extreme version of something without it being to the point of being a total arena rock vibe. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it's great sound, I think. Yeah. I don't know. And but, you can, or, the thing is you can do that now with Trigger. I mean, it, the technology I mean. is so advanced. You could play a gig and have it sound exactly like that if you just trigger samples and stuff and still play live. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a pretty exciting era. I think it's it's kind of throwing some of us off balance because we're – you know, we learn how to play the drums as a through piece, you know, with some nuance and stuff. Having to learn without dynamics. Like Near Z told me that um, when interviewed him for his cover story, like he listens to the top 20 hits of the week every time he goes in to work with a new artist because they're probably going to reference something that's on the charts. Yeah. So he's having to sense. learn how to play with less dynamics and more choppy hi-hats and stuff. So even he's yeah. getting challenged. The guys at the top of the session game is like, I can't do what I always do anymore at the the one thing I do thing. like about the um, accessibility of the technology is I love anything that evens the playing field and now it's up to you to stand out. Yeah. You know, I, I can tell you right now in the video world five or six years ago, if you had more money than the person next to you to spend, you had a better video. No I doubt mean, about it. Dude, when we used to do the Undiscovered Drummer Contest via video entry... Mm-hmm. We every because we would we would get hundreds of these tapes in and we'd all would take a stack of them and sit in the room and watch them and we had to always remind ourselves just because that video is better doesn't mean the drumming is better than this person it was really totally. really hard to do and really now hard. everyone has access to uh, my pick of the week is actually going to be a camera thing because for about a thousand dollars you most people would not be able to tell the difference between that video with that camera and stuff, as long as you had decent lighting and uh, maybe say uh, a red, you know, a $25,000 camera mm. with a $10,000 lens, D- be- mainly because you're going to be viewing it on your phone anyway. So right, right. now all, and, and I mean, even an iPhone 11 pro people are making movies with those things. So mm. now we're at a level where you have to stand out 
with you and your creativity and your and your voice. And I think drumming wise, we're back to that place where I can show everybody like, dude, I've got a 64 Gretsch. And they're like, oh, yeah, I have that on my on my laptop. It's like, <laughs> yeah. damn you. Damn <laughs> you. It sounds better than yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sunhouse just released it. I'm like, no, like, no, no. They released yours from your YouTube. videos. like, you got me. But yeah, it, then it's like, cool. Well, how do you play it? Yeah. And now we're at a, a place. So uh, Concept, I yeah. hope you guys enjoyed that trip down memory lane. I found it fascinating just doing the research for it. Yeah. Uh, finding out what's in my head as a 60s tone. Is that right? Or is that actually a 70s tone and vice versa? And then just like you said, in that 1975 track, grab the drum sounds from the Talking Heads track, yeah. swap them, throw them into the 1975 track, and that track would work just fine. Yeah, a little bit of Def Leppard, a little bit of, I mean, it's yep. all, yeah, I love it. I mean, it's, I think we're all being forced to be producers, and that's that's kind of exciting. Because like you said, it's about your vision rather than, I don't care about your 30-second notes, dude. Like, what's your right. vision? What do you got to present? And that's exciting hey, to me. As an old speaking man, of that, exciting. yesterday was my very first, uh, YouTube or not YouTube, uh, Instagram upload with specifically no 30 second notes and no, <laughs> no pull the, the rip. Like if anything did happen, I haven't even really, didn't really watch it after I uploaded it. But if anything did happen chops wise, it was only because it actually happened mm-hmm. rather than like, Oh, we're getting to the 35 second mark. Gotta we got to give the kids something. <laughs> uh, and it was a really cool, I, I was actually shocked at the reaction after putting up that post there was a massive reaction through all the comments about the whole post was about sitting down, deciding what you want your sound to be, what you want people to feel when you play and who are you as a player Mm -hmm. and trying to find that out. And I had, I've been doing it a lot mentally, but not quite as specific as that, where I really, really thought, is that what I think? Like, instead of me thinking, what is Mark's floor tom sound like and what does Carter's bass drum sound like and what does Mike Dawson's cymbal sound like it was mm. just like what do I want mine to sound like and it was a lot of fun and by the end I actually felt really confident with what I'm putting out there and felt that I had a direction of what to work on seeing the playing and going like okay I actually like all of that I do wish it was a little cleaner I wish the timing was a little better mm. but at no point did I wish I was doing more yeah you know so Thank it's God. like okay isn't that nice peaceful <laughs> thought to be like hey oh my god i'm enough <laughs> yeah well my thought is because of my job my thought is could i do that at the uk drum show on the main stage right before jojo mayor or whoever they're going to put on after me and walk off the stage going like i hope you guys enjoyed that because i'm really proud of it that's yeah. what i want yeah and yeah. that's my dream and so yeah it's it's a good place to be and i hope all of you guys spend some time and definitely the albums we grew up with influence what that sound is going to be and what that recording process is going to be. And so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, all right. No featured artists this week, but we will be getting back to our featured artists next week. And uh, next week's feature artist will be Elon Rubin. We've just been going too long in our educational segments, but I'm happy about it. I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's so much fun. We'll drop in some audio of Elon just kicking butt next week. Hopefully. Oh, what that just happened? I just hit was my the knee. cut on the hand not enough? <laughs> anyway, we have to thank our sponsors. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by HavanaMusicTours.com. So if you're interested in traveling to check out uh, Cuba, there's a percussion festival coming up on March 24th through the 29th. It's called the Fiesta del Tambor. So Havana Music Tours has put together a package that essentially takes care of everything for you. Um, so if you go to HavanaMusicTours.com/slash 
Fiesta del Tambor. You'll find it there. Go to HavanaMusicTours.com. Look for Fiesta del Tambor to get all of the specific details. This is essentially a six-day, five-night percussion festival where you'll have VIP access to all the events. There's a bunch of clinics. You get to interact with everyone that's performing. Um, You get tours of the city. Uh, You'll have a tour guide with you so you won't uh, feel lost if, if Spanish is not your your primary language or secondary language. So pretty much everything is provided. It's it, The prices range from around $1,300 per person for a basic villa accommodations up to $3,171 if you want a five-star hotel suite. Um, and that does not include airfare, but it includes everything once you get there. All your transportation, four dinners, you get a lunch, breakfast every day. Um, so it's a pretty cool event if you're looking to do some traveling, especially when I go down to Cuba, where uh, you know that's a centerpiece of drum and percussion. It's so this sounds like a pretty cool event. They're calling it the Drum Party, the annual percussion festival in Havana, Cuba, six days, five nights, Fiesta del Tambor, and cultural tour. Go to HavanaMusicTours.com to book your spot now. That again, that's on March 24th. This episode is also sponsored by Simmons Drums. If you're looking to get a electronic kit, check out the SD1200 by Simmons. This is an all mesh pad kit. It has a custom sound library with vintage and world percussion samples, a large LCD screen, uh, wireless Bluetooth and USB connectivity, and they also have an iOS app that's free that allows you to customize kits. And you can also do external sampling with this module. This is available now if you go to your local Guitar Center store, or you can also check it out online at musiciansfriend.com to order. Um, and if you just want to check out some more details about it, go to simmonsdrums.net. Again, that's the SD1200 electronic drum kit. Great deal. Check it out, simmonsdrums.net. All right, it is time for some drum candy, and this is something that Mike and I are both very excited about because it's very rare that technology makes its way into our industry. Mike and I have talked many times about how they got things right in the early 1900s, and Mm -hmm. we've just been refining it ever since. But this is something that I think could be a game changer for a lot of people because this technology isn't gimmicky. They got it right. So this is the dial tune snare drum. So yeah, give this, me so did you have this? This is you performing on it? Yep, it is. They sent me they sent me one of the prototypes, so the ones that are coming out for sale now um, are a little bit different, but really I don't think you could you could spot it just by looking at a photo or something. So okay. basically the one I'm playing in the video is is what they created for the dial tune snare drum. Uh, let me describe it. It's a six and a half by fourteen maple shell. Um, but what they created was this cabling system so you can independently control the entire tension of the batter head from the bottom head via these two large uh, metal turn knobs. Um, and the hoops themselves have like an interlocking system so there's no tension rods. You just lock it into place, tune the drum up, tune it down, unlock it, pull it off, take the head off. So you can, you can change a head from the drum being as high as possible you could probably change the head in 35 seconds, 45 seconds, under a minute, easily. Okay. Um, that's So that's functionality, what's cool. It's cool that the batter head, changing the tension of the batter head does not affect the bottom head. That's been the problem with some other systems that have come around over the years. So you can set the which, bottom which head. Which works decently well for toms and kicks, but yeah, for snare, snare. Drums, yeah. You don't want that. I mean, yeah, toms, I don't care if they both move up and down because the drum's going to sound good no matter what. Right. The snare drum with the loose bottom head is usually not not the best choice. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's just check out the video. So 
this audio is a real time I'm playing you know just a standard funk groove and then every four bars I stop playing with the right hand and then detune the drum for a couple bars and just keep playing so this is all real time there's no editing magic it's going from high to super low all in one take can I throw in a request can we just play this entire audio like yeah. all three minutes sure. I know it's a lot but there's there's a reason why I want to do that all right Okay, so the reason I wanted you guys to hear all of that is because I think when you see that big knob on the side, you think that if you do like a half a turn or a quarter of a turn, it's going to drop the whole thing down. I was shocked at how insanely delicate this thing is Mm -hmm. and how you can really fine tune this exactly how you want. Yeah, Uh, Because you were doing like four full turns just to get what we would consider like a half a turn on a drum key for every tension rod. Totally. Yeah, and it holds attention. That to me is awesome. It holds the tension really well. I mean, and when you get down to super low, obviously there's very little tension on the cable. It doesn't matter if it moves a little bit because it's almost flappy anyway. So you'll see in the video right. maybe the dial's moving like a, a sixteenth of an inch over the course of four bars. But at that point, there's no tension on the head anyway, so it doesn't matter. Right. But in the higher tunings, it didn't budge. Now, here's the other thing that's a little shocking to me. Great technology. Love it. Uh, the drum sounds really good. I know. You would think all that hardware that it would just be just a a dead block but yeah well we've we've talked many times about how the drum industry tries really hard to get the most resonance possible and then we have to spend our whole day shutting up all that resonance yeah no muffling didn't need any tape any gel that's only an overhead and a bass drum mic that's a two mic recording 
so there's no closed mic on that drum. And I, you know, we're saying that it's got a, a big turn knob on, on each side. It's not protruding that much at all Mm-mm. for what it's doing to the actual drum. Um, and I, I don't think this looks gimmicky at all. Like when I look at the drum, it just looks like I'm trying to think of something. It almost like the way that uh, when you saw that Yamaha Weckl snare that had two snares on it, mm-hmm. there was a lot of hardware on it, but it made it made the nerd and you go like, oh, it yeah. must be better. Yeah, Look at all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got an app on it. The, um, the hoops do extend maybe a little bit wider out than than would be you know everyone's choice. It's kind of more like a like a marching drum hoop. You know, they kind of extend a little bit further yeah. out. It didn't it didn't affect me at all. I didn't feel like I was knocking into it or anything like that. Um, the drum isn't super heavy. I mean, it's hefty, but it's not like a tank. I guess. And the, is it just a maple shell? Fourteen by five and a half maple shell. Six and a half maple. Yep. Oh, six and a half. Okay. Yep. And they have a natural wood. They have an like I think they call it espresso, like a dark brown finish. They had some prototypes at Nam, like acrylic and stuff. So there's going to be some other options coming out. That's cool. That's definitely one that I want for the Mike's Lesson Studio because I think mm-hmm. you and I were talking about before before the podcast started, but. This there's a lot of people that are not as nerdy about drums as you and I are. I do like to have full control over every single little nuance, mm-hmm. and I probably make it worse because of that. Yeah, where yeah, this I mean, just does it right, and it's yeah. like, well, I don't want to do it right. I want to <laughs> screw it up my way. But I have so many students that just want to play. That's all they want to do is play, and the, and the tuning of the drums really gets in their way, and then they end up. I've had adult guys tell me, I actually, play my e kit more than my acoustic kit, and I can play my acoustic kit. I have my own drum room. Mm. But it just sounds so bad. And I'm like, oh, what do you have? I have a you know brand new DW, stock heads, haven't tuned it since I got it from mm. the music shop. And I'm like, yeah, hate to tell you, but the cost doesn't buy you the sound. Like, <laughs> uh, it does if you know how to tune, but tuning is it can be a nightmare. And I think this could be one of those set it and forget it type of easy systems. And it just, the thing I was blown away the most, it's great that it works. But the drum sounds good. That is a snare drum sound that I would want in my mm-hmm. arsenal for sure. Yes, you can get Now, a, how much is this thing? Is it insane? Uh, currently, I think it's nine ninety nine. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's. So. I mean, that sounds like a professional snare drum, so that's fine by me. I with with the tech and the snare sound that it's giving, the quality of the drum, I'd be fine with anywhere between eight fifty and twelve fifty. Yeah, so I feel like that's fine. I, I like. It's also a good one for me, a peace of mind to know like. I can take this drum to any room and, and I can get it to where it'll work within the acoustics of what I'm dealing with without having to like get it all out of balance, you know, retuning. It. I wonder too, I wonder too how much it would teach you about tuning. Cause you would know that this drum is always perfectly in tune with mm-hmm. itself. Cause it's pulling the head down like a timpani drum. It's just pulling yep. it straight down. So it might teach you a lot too of like, no, at this tuning, that's what a snare drum should sound like. Totally. Yeah. That education too. Like you're always thinking, could my drum sound better or could, could my, am I, <laughs> do I really know how to tune drums? Well, this is a this good also, control. this also gives you the education of drum heads. Yeah. Put true. on a different head and your tuning is right. It's just the head that's changing the sound. The shell is the same. The tuning is flawless. So yeah, I, I think it's really, really cool. Um, the only thing that I would love and maybe could be in a future, drum would be a way to mark where you've tuned it to to be like i know that i like it at Mm. this now you could obviously do that with a tune bot but on those dials are kind of massive or they're kind of industrial looking Mm -hmm. it would be very cool if there was a way 
that you like could some say. Some kind of a gauge yeah. on it that you yeah, can see how I'm, much. I'm, I'm 375. I'm always 375. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That would be a cool thing. So something to think about. But I got to say, uh, as far as bringing technology to the snare drum world, I'm telling you guys, this is not gimmicky whatsoever. This is actually 100%. I think even in the uh, brochure, it talks about how it's badass. That's the <laughs> word they used. It's badass. Dialtune.com, so, I believe, is the site. Slash badass. Or maybe it's um, dialtunedrums.com. I probably should have found that. Let me just check it now. Dialtunedrums.com. It is dial- oh, really? Yep. Dial-tune. I've got it as dialtune.net. Let's figure this out. Dialtunedrums.com. That's what it is. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, y'all need to change the, uh, they need to change their, no, wait, who uploaded this? Oh, whoever uploaded this, Dialtune uploaded it. They need to change their description on their YouTube page. They're probably doing some copy and paste stuff, but right. um, <laughs> you can cut all that out. <laughs> all right. Listener question time. This one is from Daniel. I've been practicing mindfulness and awareness when drumming when drumming in order to improve song tempo consistency and my overall presence in the song. With this, I've noticed that I tend to hold my breath when playing a big fill or get winded quickly when playing fast. I've heard that breathing correctly while playing is important, but have really really known what, I guess I don't really know what that means. Are there any tips or advice you guys could offer on this? I'm a huge fan of the show, and my drum knowledge has increased dramatically because of what you do. Thank you, Daniel. That's awesome. Thanks, Daniel. you know, I think this is something that either people start off with this problem or they don't because it's nothing I ever had to think about. And I remember when I first saw a clinic where somebody mentioned breathing, mm-hmm. it really didn't make any sense to me. I didn't know what that because I the only thing that I guess I don't do is I don't purposely try to breathe in time. Yeah, I think you would actually get kind of lightheaded if you did that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that depends on the song. But yeah. <laughs> You're like hyperventilating um, or like taking really slow yeah. breaths. And then I have to like, it's a whole nother level of independence. Like, am I going to breathe in eighth notes or in quarter notes? Or am I going to go polyrhythmic with, I don't care. So I think just having a natural sense of breathing easy. <laughs> Imagine. Triplets in the on the way yeah. in. Sixteenth notes on the way out. <laughs> Is he doing a three against two? Yep. So I've, I've always been somebody that just breathes naturally when I play, but I have seen in quite a few students that thing that I call it muscling up. They stop breathing and they flex right mm. before they do a fill. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you do? Just whatever you were just doing in that groove, just keep doing that. Yeah. Is it something you ever had to be conscious about? Uh, I mean, a little bit when I started messing around with meditation and my, my dad was practicing Tai Chi a lot. So just the thought okay. of... of you know, managing your breath became something that I was aware of in the practice room, but I found it being too distracting. It's kind of like, what's the old line? Like, don't think of an elephant. Well, you can't not think of an elephant because I said that. So once you say, all right, think of your breathing, you're immediately like not thinking about the music. Um, Right. So I would say you notice that you hold your breath when you play a big fill or you get winded when you're playing fast. What is going on mentally that's causing you to seize up? And just get rid of th- that. Like focus yeah. on being more present and engaged in what you're playing rather than the anxiety of, holy crap, here comes that hard fill or this is so fast I'm never going to be able to keep up. Like that, th- right. It's a mental tightness that's causing the physical reaction. So I would And because that. of that, I, I will hear it in your playing the bar before your fill. Yeah. Because you'll start, start thinking about weird. the fill and all yeah. this, everything <laughs> stiffens up. I would say take the problem – out of your exercise, your problem is that you 
stop breathing and you muscle up for big fills, take that out and make a new exercise out of it. Just trade fills with yourself. Make that 10 minutes of every day of your life. Mm. It's one bar of groove, one bar of fill, one bar of groove. Do that for 10 minutes. And then when that big fill comes up, it's nothing. You've done it a billion times. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, there you go. don't think about your breathing. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but keep breathing. But keep breathing. All, All right, right. Next, next one question. is from Tom. Um, if you had a dream drummer artist combo, living or dead, what? who would they be? For instance, two of mine would be John Blackwell performing with Michael Jackson and Ash Sohn with Toto. Oh, I see. So okay. a drummer with an artist that may have never actually been together. Living or dead. Mm. I've never once thought about this. Um, Neither have I. Because some of my favorite combos were the one, I mean, Jeff Buckley and Matt Johnston and Jimmy uh, Jimi Hendrix and Mitch Mitchell and right. yeah, yeah, John yeah. I've Bonham never thought and about Jimmy it. Page. I'm not going to say this would be my dream combo, but just without giving this any thought, I would love to see Nate Smith with James Brown. Hmm. He, I'm sure he would have been in his band. Totally. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, good pick. Um, but I would like to see James Brown join Nate Smith. I don't want to see Nate Smith try to be Clyde. Mm. Like, I want James Brown to be a fan of Nate Smith in 2020 and say, I'm going to come sing a tune with you. Stay doing what you're doing. Mm. You know, I don't want to see Nate bend into Clyde or Jabo. I would I would say Steve Jordan with the Beatles. <sighs> <laughs> God, I hate when you win. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. That would have been good. And But same thing. I would want to see the Beatles bring in Steve Jordan to be Steve Jordan, not Steve Jordan try to be Ringo. Yeah, no, because he already has all that language in there, just a different yeah. – like, I, I love the Beatles and I love everything about them. They, had, they, they lacked a certain kind of like just oomph for me. And I yeah. think Steve would be like, all right, let's bring that. Let's bring some of the stones into the Beatles and and see what happens. Yeah, and I think it would have been cool uh, if if they were open to it for them to bring Steve in to be full Steve. Let him also be part time producer. Let him Oof. hear it the way he hears it. You know? All right, Paul McCartney, hire Steve Jordan for your next record. Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's do one more question. All right, last one. This is from. Uh, Tice. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, currently watching and studying Jojo Mayer's Secret Weapons 2 DVD, and he mentions he's using leather soles under his shoes for less friction. Oh, God. What's this your the industry. What's your preferred this? kind of shoe, or don't you care at all about this? Regards. That's a good question. It, I, is. I, it is a good question. I think uh, immediately I want to say, oh, I don't care, but I do. I totally care. Yeah. yeah if somebody says shoes. wear dress shoes, I'm not going to wear dress shoes while I gig. Like, mm-hmm. I can't feel the pedal. Um, for me, the dream shoe is, uh, a thin soled athletic shoe. So think of like traditional Adidas's, uh, Chuck's. Chuck Taylor's yeah. great, uh, Vans, yeah. uh, any, anything, you know, I happen to stylistically wear a lot of fitness shoes, like, uh, on tennis shoes or noble CrossFit shoes that have a thicker bottom cause they're made for some running and, it's definitely something I have to adapt to when I get to the kit. When I'm playing with just Adidas gazelles, there's no adapting. Mm. I sit down and it's yeah. the most natural it can be. So I do care as far. Now, what about you? The only thing that I'm leery of is a brand new shoe. 
anything, if it's something that's just broken in and I know what it feels like when I'm wearing it, I'm cool. If it's a brand new sneaker, if it's a brand new boot, if it's a brand new anything, it feels yeah. foreign and then it's going to be, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be thinking about my shoes while I'm playing and that's, that's the worst case scenario. So anything that I've been wearing for a couple months is usually fair game. Right. No, I'm, I'm with you for that. Um, okay. So as far as the Jojo Mayer leather sole thing, I wasn't kidding when I said it kind of shook our industry. I mean, everybody was like, should I do that? I'm like, or you could practice as much as Jojo did and you'll probably get the same results. Yeah. He's going to that like next level, like high performance. What can I get the extra 0.2%? Okay. Let me just help out real quick. He's going through that. I have to film a DVD and we need content. I can tell you right now as as somebody that searches for content, there are some things that are quite nuanced, but it's like, no one has to do that. I, fa- I found a lot of people seem to be able to play drums without drinking matcha. <laughs> Somehow. Magically. You don't have to drink matcha. I just, it's like, what am I going to post about today? And I do drink matcha. So it's not that I doubt that JoJo does it. I know he does because I've seen him do gigs. Just saying, I think that those are things. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Um, and to, you got to have extras for your DVD. I do think, though, that that, if you think about JoJo doing that for his souls and his pedal, that gives you more insight than anything. He likes to slide. He likes to yeah. have that. I'm not saying slide technique. I mean, he likes that slippery feel. Yeah. I'm a bit the opposite. I'm, I'm the guy that used to pour Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. What am I? A thousand years old. Coke. <laughs> New Coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1984. So I'm the guy that used to pour soda on my pedal board. So it would be sticky by the time I got on stage. So, I like a little bit of tackiness, so it, it's really up to you, though. I mean, I yeah, don't you think can't you need to do that. He clearly, I mean, JoJo's got his own his own vibe, his own thing. He's not he's not trying to to fill an arena with his bass drum. There's no way you right. could like go for power and have that super slick kind of vibe. Right. He's going for yeah. efficiency and clarity and dynamic control. Yeah, that would be a nightmare. Like ice skating and trying to like. Totally. Like I slam just on one and three all night. Nah. You know what it's like when you load in on a rainy gig and your pedal's still wet when the gig starts. Yes, You're like, terrible. no. <laughs> and you keep, like, in between every single note, you wipe your shoe off on the on the drum <laughs> rug and then you're back to the pedal. And you wipe it off and you're back to the pedal. So, all right. Well, thank you guys oh, for your man. questions. We really appreciate you. You can keep sending those in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can send in an email question or you can email us a sound file. That's definitely our favorite. When we get to hear your voice, we truly truly love that it makes us feel a little bit closer to you guys now it is time for picks of the week it's been a long time since we've had traditional picks of the week yeah and i actually have one i'm not making it bring it, it. <laughs> look at yeah, this right. look what I got. shut up i got a moon gel seven inch workout pad here they sent one for me to check out after we uh we did our little tribute to thomas oh that's so cool for them to get my address too thanks a lot guys <laughs> <laughs> just kidding just kidding I let that sit there for a minute. Yeah, so I've got this seven-inch workout pad. (laughs) The guy that doesn't even like pads gets the pad, and the guy that talks all good about pads doesn't get the pad. Thanks, Moon Gel. All right. Sorry. I'm done. Pick of the week. Seven-inch Moon Gel pad. (laughs) Yeah, I got it. I got it here. So Tom Rogers, the founder of, of R-Tom, the inventor of the Moon Gel and the subsequent Moon Gel practice pad, the Black Hole uh, practice pad system, he recently passed away. So we, you know, we paid tribute to him a couple weeks ago, and then they they said, "Hey, I want to get, make sure you get this pad." And they have another one coming out. I'll make sure you get the new one. There's like a 14 inch version that's coming out that we'll review in detail. But 
The 7-inch workout pad is available. It is um, the great uh, technique humbler, in my opinion. There is no rhythm. It's no rhythm. No uh, rebound. It's literally like you're playing into outer space. Like, there's yeah, nothing that one's tough. back to you. So that one is tough for sure. I wouldn't do more than five, ten minutes at a time on this sucker, but if you just need a quick burnout, this is a good this is a good pad. Awesome. All right, my pick of the week is something I've been searching for for a long time, which is if somebody came to me and said, I have a somewhat limited budget, but I want a great looking video, what should I get? Uh, it's been a while it's been a while to find that perfect combination. The other thing is I'm always looking for can it take good stills because most of us are now hybrid folk, meaning we film our videos. Then later in the day, we might take a picture of our snare drum and we want both of those images to match. So my pick of the week is it's a twofer. I've got two pieces here. The body, the camera body is the Canon EOS M50. This is a fairly old camera. I think this came out maybe two or three years ago. And yes, in camera world, that is fairly old. The reason why it's my pick of the week and it wasn't in previous times is because for some reason, Canon didn't allow 24 frames per second on this camera. Mm, I don't know right, why, you've mentioned but that they before. didn't. That's weird. Yeah, so now it ships with 24 frames, which is what you'd want to shoot your videos in. Plus, it has high frame rates, so you can do 60 frames um, per second slow-mo. It does shoot in 4K, but this is a mirrorless cropped sensor. This is not like the Canon EOS R that I use with a full-frame sensor. It ships with a lens that would make you think, ah, I guess it's decent, the reason why this is my pick of the week is because Sigma just released uh, a lens that goes down to 1.4. So a 1.4 lens will let in tons of light. You could shoot in a dark room with this lens and you'd be happy. And it's a 16 millimeter lens. Now, 16 millimeter lens on a full frame sensor, that's almost fisheye. That's so insanely wide. Mm. 16 mil on a crop sensor, that's like a 24. So it's actually perfect for drummers. This will get your whole kit in the shot without distorting the edges. I mean, there won't be that fisheye bending. There will be no distortion or pin cushioning, if you want to call it that. So the Canon body, if you can find the body alone, you're probably looking at 549. And then with the kit lens, which is a 15 to 45, it's 599. I would just get the kit lens just so you have a second lens that can go a little bit closer. So the Canon EOS M50, it's mirrorless. It's awesome it has in-body stabilization which is really good for those of you that are drumming next to it and it's on a tripod Mm. it'll really absorb that um that those bounces a lot but the sigma 16 mil 1.4 lens that's the game changer here being able to throw that on this tiny little camera and get that depth of field that blurred background because you're open to 1.4 uh it's, it's just amazing. So um, actually, yeah, it tells you that it's a 25 mil equivalent on a full frame sensor. So really cool stuff. So the camera itself is amazing. It does shoot in 4K. I'm shooting everything with it in 1080p, but you can shoot in 1080p or 4K and then uh, throw the 16 mil lens on it. So for under $1,000, you could get a very, very professional look. This could be your one stop. Cool. I'm done. Um thing if you had this combination and then from there sigma released a 35 and a 50 in the same line so you can add to this lens collection and get that 1.4 depth of field blurred background so hope that helps dope all right man i need to upgrade you're talking about like cameras being outdated after two years mine's like 12 years old (laughs) yeah i mean i would i would say for anybody that's really you know you do this for a living i would actually just wait about three more months 
and then get the Canon EOS R, which is what I have, because mm. they're about to release the Canon. They're calling it the Canon EOS R. Uh, what is it? The M5. Uh, so it's it's really now that they're done releasing DSLRs, they're done with DSLRs. Mm. Um, they're only doing mirrorless. The new EOS R is going to be a game changing camera. It's going to do 4K, 60 frames, 120 frame, frames. It'll be the great camera. But that will bring the cost of the OSR down, mm-hmm. and that's the camera I use for everything. It's it's amazing. It's I love it. So, anyways, for those of you that don't want to spend over a thousand dollars but still want a very professional look, go with the Canon EOS M50 and the Sigma 16 mil 1.4 that's made for that camera mount, and you will be in heaven. All right. Well, we're going to send the show off with a groove by Doug Austin. This just came in a couple days ago. He did a recording session with an artist named Bob Young and Friends. This is a halftime shuffle, Purdy-inspired 6-8 outro beat. This is, um, he's playing a Frankenstein Pearl Export kit uh, with a Yamaha Stage Custom Snare. He has an extra drum head on top to make it sound fat. He's got some soul tone cymbals. Um, so yeah, let's check it out. This is Doug Austin, and we are out of here. Later, brother. See ya.